0: Not just in reconciling us to yourself, but reconciling us to each other and breaking down every barrier, every division that we might be united in Jesus. Lord, thank you for that. And bless us now as we come to your word, Lord. We ask for your help, that you would by your spirit speak to our hearts. Help us to understand, Lord, the things that we cannot understand with our natural minds. And Lord, speak deep into our soul, we pray. Help us to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Just to um, mention as well that tonight is the start of uh, a new series. Uh, We're going through beginning the book of Judges. And it's good to get into the Old Testament, not just uh, stay in the New. There's so much that God has to teach us. I've, I've really enjoyed going through Judges in my quiet times and uh, that sort of led to this series that we're doing and Jez is going to lead us off with an introduction to Judges tonight. And then a, a, just an encouragement adding to what Bob said, just please come Saturday evening. That's the first of the Bradford Keswick's. We uh, have the privilege of hosting those Keswick meetings but they are for everybody. The, the, the people come from different churches across Bradford and further afield and uh, Great teaching, great time of worship together as God's people, so come, please come for the first one on Saturday and then Monday, Tuesday the following week. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, if we can. We are resuming our look at this marvelous letter of Paul to the Ephesians. We've had quite a break. I think it was before uh, Christmas that we broke off and then in the new year, these last few months, we've been looking at fruitfulness as a series. So now we're going to resume looking at it. We might not look at it every Sunday, Um, depends on visiting preachers, etc., but uh, certainly we'll be looking at it intermittently in going through this wonderful book. I'd like to read from verse 1. But we're going to be focusing on verse 11 through to 18. But uh, verse 1 to give us the context and through to 18. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not this from and, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then we come to verse 11. And this is the passage we're looking at this morning. Therefore remember. That formerly you were. You are Gentiles by birth. And called uncircumcised by those who are called themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off or far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We'll finish there. I'm reading the NIV, I'm not all that familiar with the NIV, but I thought it was a bit clearer. Uh, so I'm going to be reading from the NIV this, uh, this morning. You know, there are some passages out there in Scripture that can really grab your heart. And uh, we've all got, I'm sure, favourite passages, ones that we uh, tend to return to a lot, because they speak to our hearts and uh, they're just so, so clear and wonderful. I have to be honest, this passage isn't one of those passages. And when I was reading it, I was been reading it in my quiet time some while back, I've got to be honest, there wasn't this sort of wow factor, this, this, I've got to preach on this, this is wonderful. I had to read it a number of times just to get hold of it. It's a sort of passage in the past I would have um, thought, I'll give this one to Tony to look at, you know, and I can't do that now, can't do it, until he comes back at least. So here I am, preaching on this passage. As I've studied it, I can honestly say it has gripped my heart. And it's one of those passages that, uh, on the surface, it might take a little bit of getting into. But the truths of it are amazing and wonderful and have great significance. There are passages like that, aren't there? You know, sometimes there are difficult passages. You know, let's face it, there are some times when you're reading and you think, Ooh, that, I'm not sure what this means, and it, it sort of goes over our heads a little bit. There are times like that. There are scriptures. I think they're there to teach us, to help us to learn that sometimes we have to dig into things. We have to pray, we have to rely on God, we have to really mull over things and uh, work hard. You know, it talks about in the, in the Bible, there's milk and there's meat. And neither are br- wrong. But if you just stay on the milk then there's a baby you'll never never grow you never eat the real food of God's word and uh, so i think scriptures like this are important that we really just give our attention rather than just skip them and uh, go to the easy ones so here we are Ephesians 2 i've called it the great divide overcome because th- this passage is all about the great obstacles that god has overcome To bring people into his church. It's about the great divisions that God has broken down in Christ for those who are in Jesus. One of the great themes of this uh, passage. Or no, rather one of the great themes of Ephesians. I think if not the great theme, the great theme is that of unity. And uh, we'll come to that in Ephesians 4 in more detail. But it's summed up in some ways back in chapter 1 in verse 9 and 10. So chapter 1 verse 9 and 10. And he, that's God, made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. Right at the end of history. With this purpose. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even christ so this is god's eternal redemption plan his great plan is to bring everything all things in heaven and earth into a oneness under christ's reign now that might not thrill us as it should do but I tell you what, it excites God. That's his passion. That's what he's working towards. Bringing everything under his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to illustrate what God has done to do that, Paul takes an example of two groups that were totally poles apart. Two groups of people. There's the Jew and the Gentile. Now, actually, that sums up the whole world. There's Jews and there's Gentile. That's in Bible speak, if you like. And what Paul seeks to show is how God has reconciled these two very, very different groups who have such division between them. In, when they come into the, the church, they're in Christ, God has actually demolished great barriers in order to make us one in Jesus that's what this passage is all about so first of all going back to chapter 2 verse 11 he says therefore remember what are we to remember that formerly you who are Gentiles that's most of those who are at Ephesus probably I would think all of us as far as I know Who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. That done in the body by the hands of men. Now, that might seem a bit strange to us. And it's certainly politically incorrect, isn't it, to call somebody, you you uncircumcised person, you. I don't think I'd go and say that to somebody. But actually, that was the attitude of the Jew, traditional religious Jew of Paul's day, to the Gentiles. Circumcision. Every Jewish baby, boy, since Adam, would have been circumcised. That was the sign that God gave to the Jewish nation that they were especially A people that belonged to him. That that separated them and made them or said that you are now my covenant people. A covenant is an agreement, a promise by which God entered into this relationship with Israel. And as a sign, he said, you are to circumcise every male child. That was the symbol of their relationship. Sadly, circumcision the sign that God's people were holy, down the years in the Jewish nation, it had become almost a a badge of superiority. You know, we are the the spiritual people. We are God's elect. We are God's people and no one else's. And they looked down on the Gentiles, everybody else, as being those uncircumcised. It was was a derogatory term. It was an unflattering term. They also had another term, didn't they? They would call them dogs. You know, in other they were wild and uh, they were sort of beasts of the, of, of the world. and So there was an attitude of superiority among many of the Jews of that time. Now, God had given to the Jewish nation certain things that actually set them apart. And he did it deliberately. And so... God would get. He gave them dietary laws, didn't he? And so that se- separated them. He gave them social laws, what they should, what and, and religious laws, what they could touch, what they couldn't touch. He gave them uh, things even what they couldn't eat or couldn't wear, and things like that. That was all intended to keep them holy, keep them separate from those around them. But it wasn't to keep them isolated. It wasn't to sort of make them sort of. A people set apart so that they couldn't be reached. All of those things were intended for the Jews to be holy so they could point people to God. They could actually show people how to worship God. But sadly, that had been instead. It had become a part of... It, 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 that separation had become almost, well, we are different. This is us on our own now. And John MacArthur says this, he says that Sadly, they'd become more like a bucket instead of a channel. In others, they'd become isolated. We're, we're, the, we're the only ones going to heaven. We're, nobody else is going to be in a relationship with God. Instead of the channel of God's peace and the God's plan and God's purpose. And pointing people to God. And then in verse 12, he goes on... He The Jews were separate from the Gentiles. First of all, verse 12. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. Separate from Christ. They had no no access to the Gentiles. They had no access to the deliverer, God's deliverer. And because of that, they couldn't expect to experience the benefits of that. And then he goes on, verse 12. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ... Excluded from the citizenship in Israel. Excluded from citizenship. That means that they weren't part of God's family. They they, they just didn't enjoy the the benefits of being a a child of God. You know, they, they couldn't experience all of the things which were blessings of the family of God. They are excluded from citizenship in Israel. They were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. God had promised them great blessings. Wonderful blessings. The Jews, the Jewish people, if they obeyed and, 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 and followed God, God would bless them, guide them, provide for them, protect them, all those things. But Gentiles were separate from that. They didn't experience that. So they were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. And then it goes on at the end of verse 12. And Gentiles are without hope and without God in the world. In other words, they have no relationship with God. They were without hope, hopeless. Terrible place to be if you're without hope. And then in verse 14, Paul uses another term to describe this great divide that there was between Jew and Gentile. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed. Shall we go on to this? Yeah, it might be better. Mind it? Try that one instead. Verse 14, at the end, he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Right? The dividing wall. Of hostility. What on earth is Paul talking about there? In the temple at Jerusalem, there was a wall. That wall separated Gentiles who were there to worship God, who were feeling we need to get close to God, from the Jews who could go further into the temple. So there was the court of the Gentiles, and then there was a big dividing wall, and then there was the court of the people. And on that wall where the Gentiles, of the, that separated Jews from Gentiles, there was a plaque. And on that plaque it said this, No foreigner, no Gentile, may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure, in others can go beyond where they were, anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. In other words, if a Gentile went beyond that wall, they would be killed. That's it. They couldn't go beyond that wall, closer to the place where God was worshipped, if you like. There was a dividing wall of hostility. And Paul, he sees that wall as a picture of this great division between Jew and Gentile. There were social divisions, there were religious divisions, there was separation, spiritual separation. And in Paul's terms, there was hostility and enmity between Jew and Gentile. Now, remember that Paul is stressing this because he's going to show the incredible things that God has done in bringing Jew and Gentile together in the church. Verse thirteen, but now—that's the second but, great but in this uh, uh, passage. You've heard the good news, bad news scenarios. That, you know, the, have you heard the good news? Well, here's the bad news. You know, you've heard the here's good news, Pastor. Your, your your congregation has trebled in the last three weeks. Bad news. You were away on holiday at the time. You know, in some ways, this chapter is like that. Here's here's the bad news. You are separated from sin. Verses one through to three. Separate from sin, desperately without God, going for a, a lost eternity. But God sent Jesus. That's the grace of God. And then verse 11 onwards, here's the bad news. You were separated from each other. You, have, you, you are experiencing things which are the consequence of sin. Breakups. Breakups of relationships, problems with relationships, wars, violence, all of those things. Division, anything that divides men and women. Whatever division there is, that's because of sin. But, here's the good news. Because of Christ's love, in Christ, you who once were far away... From each other, in other words. You were far away from Gentile and Jew. You were far away from each other. Verse 13, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups. That's Jew and Gentile, one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So what he's saying is there's been this great reconciliation. There's been this amazing bringing together. And it's found in the church. How did he do it? Verse 15. He did this. He brought two, if you like, warring factions together. By setting aside in his flesh, that's Christ's flesh, the law. With its commandments. Its commands and regulations. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. Perfectly satisfied every requirement of God. And then by his death, he paid the full penalty of that law. On your behalf and my behalf. And so, wonderfully, he's overcome the demands of the law, if you like. Satisfied them. Verse 16, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Out of the two. That's out of the two, Jew and Gentile. Thus making peace. Verse 16, and in one body... To reconcile both of them. Jew and Gentile. To God through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. He came. That's Christ. Came and preached peace to you. Who were far away. That's Gentiles. And peace to those who were near. That's Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father. By one spirit. Now what does all this mean what what paul is saying is for the jew and the gentile there isn't a a two-way a two-way track of salvation if you like jews aren't saved one way and gentiles another and sort of gentiles become better jews he's saying both come to christ both need to be saved both are saved by grace so we come on level ground i've said that before when we come to the cross we come on level ground none of us is nearer to god than the other when we come we're all in need of salvation and when we come together in christ we're united in him we become the church and we're brought into a new family a totally new family look at verse 16 and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he came he put to death their hostility sorry verse 15 at the end as well just go back to verse 15 he made himself one in himself one new man out of the two one new humanity the church of Christ is a totally new creation it's a new something totally new it wasn't there before and God has made this new function this new church out of Jew and Gentile thinking of the old hymn the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord she is his new creation by water and the word so God's plan isn't in our salvation he didn't just save us to be reconciled to himself he saved us to be reconciled to each other it goes far beyond just salvation from sin. It's salvation from the consequences of sin. And because of that, in the early church, there were Jews and Gentiles sitting together as a part of the body of Christ. And we, we, we might lose, we, we don't get hold of this. We, we, we've lost the, the impact that that would have had. But to see a Jew and a Gentile eating together, fellowshipping together, worshipping together, that would have been absolutely earth-shattering to see that in the early church it's sin isn't it that divides sin sin causes bitterness, fallouts disputes, violence family breakdown, divorce and all of those things that separate have been overcome in Christ our, our, our society in the world we live in is full of division, I was watching, the, uh, I was watching a, pr- a television program it was Judge Rinder. If you've never seen it, you haven't missed anything. I'll tell you why I was watching it. I was what, it's, it's something that's on the day, every day. I think it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon or something. Every day, just around it. Why, I was, why? Now, you need to know why I was watching this in the middle of the day. I, I, was, I was visiting somebody. And while I was talking to them, they fell asleep. It, it happens. And, and, and the television was on. So I thought, okay, well, I'll watch television while they're having a snooze. So, and it was, it was Judge Rinder. I enjoyed it. I, mean, so I thought it was really good. I mean, he, the judge, for, the, for the uninitiated, Judge Rinder is a barrister. And he, he holds this court. He's the judge in this court, okay? And people come and they present their issues. So this, just to show that I wasn't asleep, this, this one, it was, it was a, a, a landlord and a tenant. And there was a big dispute about them. And, uh, and and there's a an audience. I don't. What do you call it in a court? Anyway, people. And uh, so he was judging this. And and uh, okay, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it goes on and on and on. These things are disputes that people can't sort out. Things that they can't resolve. And and it was an insight just into what sort of a world we live in. I actually went on to look through the listings on the television, the program, just to see what else there is. And I I didn't realise these things. But you yeah, have judge. You have Judge Reindy, you have Jeremy Kyle show. You've got Judge Judy, right? You've got shows like Nightmare Neighbours, Nightmare Tenants. You've got all sorts of stuff like that, all about these breakups in relationships and problems that there are. And our society, honestly, is like that. The question is, can we ever find real peace? Can we ever find real harmony? Can we ever find real unity between people of different backgrounds and social backgrounds and experiences and all of that? And the answer is a resounding yes. It's found in the church. In the church of Christ. Hostile enemies reconciled people who are able to forgive, people who are able to work together who never worked together. When we were in Israel, uh, Judith and myself, we went to a a little community where they were working, Palestinians and Jews working together. That's unthought of, unheard of. Working together. But it's more than just, you know, being peaceful with each other. I mean, there are a lot of groups, if you like, where you've got a common goal, haven't you? You know, if you go to a football match, you follow a football club. Well, You know, you could say, well, that brings together people of different cultures and things. Or maybe other religions. Well, they've got a common oneness. But actually, the Christian unity is different. Because it says, Christ is our peace. It's not just that he gives us peace. Christ is our peace. It's only when Christ comes and lives within us that he imparts his peace so the christian peace is a life of love for each other it's a life of unselfish service for one another it's a life of forgiveness of one another with the forgiveness of god the love of god the the the, the, the peace of god all of those things it, this is a different this is unique to the church And what Paul wants to do is to get us to really grasp with our hearts, not with our heads, just with our heads, what a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian in the church of Christ. And I think he wants us to grasp the extraordinary passion that God has for his church. In fact, for every church. You know, our churches are made up churches are made up of people from every walk of life aren't they all backgrounds i mean our church it's a wonderful example of the the people from different nationalities who are here and different backgrounds all types of people cultures experiences we should never get used to the miracle of the church now i know there are problems in the church i know there's problems in our uh, church you know I'm the pastor. I know about a lot of the problems and issues that have to be dealt with. And, you know, being a pastor, it does add years onto your life sometimes. You know, I I am actually only 35. (laughs) We're, we're, We're part of an amazing church, though. I praise God for you, and I praise God for this church and the wider church. It's a miracle church. What God has done in bringing people together who were far apart, who had no interest in each other. And, and now you're in Jesus and, and actually there is a love and there is a care and a concern and, and there is that oneness and a unity. Galatians 3 says this, there is no, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What an amazing family that is, where everyone is exactly the same in God's eyes. No status differences. The church is a miracle of God. No other power on earth could bring that together in the way that God does, in the way that Christ has done but here's the massive implications for us and this is really an introduction i hope you realize well no not to not i'm not coming to the meat of the message now but next time i'm going to look more at the practical side the outworking this is the laying the foundations this morning but i do want just to in the last few minutes make it practical it's got massive implications for us and i've put them in the form of questions i've given you a sheet and I, I want you to take that sheet. I did have one. I've lost it. Bob, could I just... Oh, thanks. Put, I've summarized the, 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 the wonder of our unity there. And uh, there's a verse which is part of our passage. And then I said, we are a congregation made up of people from different backgrounds, age groups, experiences, cultures and nationalities. Our vision is to build a community passionate about Jesus, equipped to serve. If our aim is to build a community, a real community of God's people, what can we do to deepen our fellowship? What can we do to overcome the things that potentially divide us what 1% changes would help I'll come to that in a minute now I, I'd like you to take that I'd like you actually in a moment I'm going to give you a minute if there's anything that comes to mind practically to write it down any thoughts, any suggestions anything that you feel actually that would help We are a, when you think of it we're people made a, there's different age groups aren't there and it's natural, we congregate in our age groups. We, we gravitate, and that's fine, that's normal. But how can we stop that being a barrier? If it is a barrier, how, what can we do to, to overcome that barrier in real fellowship or in real unity? We're people from different cultures. People come in and visit us from different nationalities, nations, sometimes from different religions. And... How do they feel? How can we embrace them more than we do? What are the things that we need to do to express this amazing, incredible oneness that we have where every division has been broken? We've got to work it out. Jesus said, didn't he, or Paul said, work out your salvation. We've got to work it out. How can we do that? What, what are the things that we would be able to do? If someone comes in and, and they, you know, what's the mark of a, of a church? Well, it should be they will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So somebody comes into a service and they see what we're doing. What makes us? What is the distinct thing to them? What would help them see actually we are united? There's something about us. Is it that they see us singing? Is it that they see us? Hearing a message, is it that they uh, hear us pray, or is there more than that? What are the things that would help us to express this oneness, this unity, in a much greater way, and would help us to break down the barriers that would stop us? We've got folks who come in from different ministries, like Real Hope, and uh, other ministries on a Wednesday night and a Friday night. How are they embraced? How do we make them welcome? How can we as a church do that? What, what would help becoming us becoming a church where the divisions are broken down? We have asylum seekers, refugees. If we're going to grow as a church, God is going to add these people to us in a wonderful way. But it's not just a case of numbers, is it? It's a, ch- a case of him adding to the church. What can we do? And so I want you to come away. Give me some thoughts. Give some suggestions. Write things down. If you things that you come in your mind, there's a there's a basket there where Jack was sat or is sat. Um, there'll be a that basket will be on the seat. You could pop uh, uh, your form in there if there's something that comes to mind. I'll bring it back next week because um, it's the fortnight t- the fortnight's time that I'm preaching. Doesn't have to be big, you know. Uh, A small change that's sustained is a lot better than a big leap that is soon forgotten. So just a 1% change, 1%, just a little thing can make all the difference if it's sustained. That's why I said what 1% changes would help. I want us to take time. That's the practical outworking. And that's what we need to do and I'd like you to do. What suggestions can you give? And, uh, and let's go away and think about that, pray about that, and also go away with rejoicing and thankfulness to God for what he's done in creating a church, and a church like this, to praise God for. Let's pray. Let's just be quiet. And then we're going to sing. Or if the band would come up. Um, let's just be quiet. Just take a moment to think about that, and maybe to fill that in if you can think of something that just strikes you. Think, hmm. And then next time I'll... Uh, I'll Assess these things and think about them. That'd be good. Let's just be quiet. From many different backgrounds and circumstances and situations and experiences. And bringing them through the cross, through the trusting in Christ, and bringing them into your wonderful, the body of Christ, the church, the new creation. How we thank you, Lord, that you have broken down every barrier. You have dealt with the sin that would cause division. But Lord, we know that we've got to work this out. We've got to do all we can to preserve and keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We've got to work out our fellowship, work out as a church how we can put into practice this unity and live it out. And So Lord, I pray that you would impart to us those things that would help us to be the church you want us to be now and in the months and years to come. Lord, thank you for your church. Thank you for this church. Thank you for our church, Lord. We know it belongs to you, but we belong to it as well. And Lord, we thank you for that. I thank you for each person. I thank you, Lord, for the grace that's shown in in lives, Lord, that were once lost in sin, but are now forgiven, clothed in that righteousness of Christ. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for all that you're doing. And we thank pray, Lord, that you'd help us, not to keep it to ourselves, Lord, but to be able to point others, be a channel, not that bucket where we just sort of collect ourselves, as it were. But Lord, we want to be channels of your love and grace and mercy. Help us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to sing a song, not so much about unity, but it is a celebration that we are the church build your kingdom.